Christmas is coming. And so we shall sing about the shepherds. Our shepherds watch their flocks by night all seated all around. And we'll sing about the angels. Hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. We shall sing about the wise men. We three kings of Orient are. We will sing about Bethlehem. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. And we'll sing about Mary. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child. Shepherds, angels, wise men, Mary. But let me ask you a question. When was the last time you sang a carol about Joseph? When did you last sing about Joseph? Joseph, the forgotten figure. So much in the Christian and Christmas story. And yet Matthew introduces his gospel and the record of the birth of Jesus Christ by focusing upon this man. So what kind of a man was he? And what can we learn this morning for ourselves from him? If you have an outline, and I see it's on the back of your, your bulletin there, there's an outline. That's just as, as a guide to, to show you where we're going, and it may help you later to try and remember where we were. But I've simply outlined three aspects that I, I see here in the life of this forgotten figure. And that is firstly that Joseph was a gentle hearted man. And I get that from verses 18 and 19 of that first chapter of Matthew that was just read to us. And to understand what's going on here, we have to remind ourselves again of something of the the culture in which this man was found, the culture that surrounded him, the culture in which he grew up. Because you see, for us, the procedure at least up until recent years, was that a a young couple would fall in, in love, they would get engaged, and then sometime later there would be a marriage service. They would uh, declare their vows, they would exchange rings, and they would be witnesses and so forth. And it was at that service where they became husband and wife. But Joseph's culture was different. Yes, there was the beginning, there was the the engagement, often arranged by parents or a professional matchmaker. But then secondly, there was the betrothal. And this involved making promises and exchanging vows. And by virtue of that, the betrothal became recognized as basically the, the marriage 
in all of the arrangements. So that the two couples were regarded as, as husband and wife. In other words, the Jewish betrothal was the marriage itself. But then thirdly, the Jewish custom placed an interval between the betrothal and the bringing home of the bride to the husband's house. And it was during that that interval between betrothal And Mary coming back to the home, to the house of of Joseph. It's in that interval where we find the situation here that now confronts Joseph. This returning to the husband's house, this was a time of great festivity, but it wasn't the time for vows and promises. They had all been made and, and, and agreed to at the betrothal. So it's at the betrothal that they were regarded as married. Here is the culture. There's been the betrothal. But there's this interval. Mary hasn't yet come to live with Joseph. That was the culture. But what we read of in verse 18 is a calamity. A calamity. Because we read these words, Mary, she was found to be with child. Now the 18th verse also tells us she was found to be with child from the, the Holy Spirit. Here, here Matthew is, is, is helping his readers by filling in the blanks at this point. Historically, Joseph is not advised of that until the appearance of the angel that you get in verse 20. But enough us to, to know here, to know the fact that, that Mary is being with child. And Joseph finds out about this. He discovers this. We're not quite sure how he, how he discovers his wife's condition. But nature has its own way of showing that situation. So what action is open to him? An espoused woman, if found unfaithful, could be punished with death. And furthermore, as a, as a truly religious Jew, he is described as a righteous man, as a, a just man. It's the same terminology that is applied to Zacharias and to uh, uh, Elizabeth and later on to, to Simeon. Joseph could not think of consummating his marriage with Mary under the present circumstances. So there were, there were two courses open to him. Charge Mary with adultery and make her a public example. Or without charging her with any crime, give Mary a letter of divorcement. So what action does he The 19th verse answers our question. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So we see something of his culture, but we read of this calamity that he now faces. 
But here's his compassion. The action he takes is full of gentleness, mercy, consideration, and is private. Here is this this man who would do all within his power to guard Mary's name and reputation, to preserve some of her dignity, to ensure that she will not suffer from public humiliation. Joseph, I put to you, was a gentle-hearted man. But in all honesty and reality, Joseph was also a grief-stricken man. For you think of his condition. You see, don't be too quick in reading over verses 18 and 19. Don't be too clinical when you read the story that you've read a hundred thousand times before. Don't become used to holy things. That knowing all of the story and how it ends, we miss the reality, the pain, the gut-wrenching awfulness of this poor man's situation. You see, can't you just imagine Joseph? And he may have just been a young man. He may have just been a young man in his 20s. This just man. This righteous man. As he he lies in bed alone that night after hearing this news of Mary. The sense of, of loss and of grief he must have felt as he thought of this, 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 this act of betrayal on the part of this young woman whom he desperately and deeply loved. And his sense of, of shame that, that, that somehow he, he, he has not satisfied her. She had to look to another That here is a man whose dreams were dashed, whose heart was broken, who could identify with the songwriter who said, My pain comes and goes. It comes in the morning and goes all night long. Joseph was a man instead of shock, depressed, lonely, feeling a sense of guilt about the situation, and a man terribly hurt. A a, a man whose, whose world has just crumbled around him, whose whole future has now fallen into the rubbish bin. A man stricken with grief. And I think we probably all know something about grief. Or not the identical situation here with Joseph. But grief nevertheless. 
The loss of a loved one. The loss of a job. A promise that's been broken. A hope that's been dashed. Maybe the loss of your health. The change in your environment. You know, three years ago, as I said, I retired from full-time ministry. Retirement takes adjustment. It's change. You lose some things. My friends, grief comes in different ways to different people at different times. And it's how do we respond at such times? How do we handle such times? Where do we turn? Joseph His condition is characterized by grief and a heart that's just been torn in two. But I want you to notice in verse 20, his consolation, his consolation. Reading from the ESV, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Before any decision was acted upon, while still grieving and hurting, A messenger of God is sent to him. Immediately implying that that, that God knew exactly where Joseph was. And he brings a message that Joseph needed to hear. The messenger brought a message of explanation from the Lord that indicated that though Joseph was in pain and facing a terrible predicament, God knew that God was still in control and that God was working out his purposes that had been prophesied years before. The reference given to us in verses 22 and 23. The fact of the matter being that Joseph's grief would ultimately, by God's grace, be to the good of people and the glory of God's name. And my friends, God's ways with us at times are strange, but they're always scriptural. They're mysterious to us, but they're always moral. They may be painful to us, but they're always purposeful to him. God's ways are other than we think. For who would have believed the story that was about to unfold here? A story that changed the world. We may not know why certain things befall us. But surely our faith does not focus on the why. But on the who. The who. 
Wasn't that the lesson that Job needed to learn? Because you see, undergirding this consolation was this. Joseph was, thirdly, a God-fearing man. A God-fearing man. And I see that in verses 24 and 25. Because notice his conviction. We're told he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Why? Why? Well, this was his conviction, his certitude, the the deduction and belief that the message given to him was indeed a message from God, the God who works wonders, the God who works miracles. And as I looked at that, I thought to myself, you know, Hebrews 11 that, that chapter that, that uh, presents to us that, that hallmark of the, the men and women of faith of the Old Testament. And I'd put to you this morning that if there was a, a, a similar listing of New Testament faithful men and women, Joseph's name would be right there at the top. Because what what faith is this? Because you see, a virgin birth was as rare then as it is today. Can I put it to you very crudely, very bluntly? You know, mum and dad sitting here, you're family grown up, you've daughter's grown up, you've cared for her and loved her and taught her and she's come to Sunday school, she's been to church and gets to that age where she starts going out with a young, young man and one night she comes home and big smile on her face and she says, Mum and Dad have got, got some great news for you, great news. And you're all excited, what's the news? She says, uh, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. And she can see your face fall. Don't worry. It's from God. Would you believe her? But this is the message given to Joseph. And he believed God. He was convinced that this was a visitation and an explanation was that which God had given. Thus his conviction as to the who produced the consolation about the why. And grief finds its relief in who we believe God is and what he is like. And our knowledge of God dispels our fears and calms our doubts. Joseph was a God-fearing, God-believing, God-trusting man. And so he moves from hurt to hope and from failure to a future. Because he listened to the word of God and he believed the God of that word. Beloved, we may not understand why God is dealing with us as he is, 
But the message of the scripture is surely this. Hope thou in God. He is providentially working out his purposes. Because as Matthew indicates, what is just happening here historically is what God had planned before time. And and the great promise of the book of Revelation truly is that no tears shed by us are wasted. They assure us, or the book assures us, that somehow our good God is using our grief to bring glory to his name. That though our ways, God's ways with us are strange, they are for his glory. That the road to hope often navigates its way through hurt and loss and grief. But then let me simply add this. Joseph's conviction arose from his belief in God. And surely in light of this angelic visitation, his awe of God, his understanding of God's sovereignty and majesty, his wonder that this great and glorious God had stooped to send his messenger with this life-changing, world-shattering, hope giving, joy-filling, God-worshipping message of heaven's beloved Son. And it was that coming and that conviction that it was of God that gripped him and drove him to do what he did. And so his compliance, you look at verse 24, he did. Verse 24 again, he took. Verse 25, he called. He did everything that was commanded of him. And the simple yet sublime truth is this. Joseph had listened to the message. Have you ever asked yourself the question, what does it mean to listen? You know, you come here on a Sunday morning. I'm, I'm learning. You really have to pray for me. I'm, I'm learning what it means to, to sit in the pulpit, not in the pulpit, to sit in the pew. After, after spending 30, 40 years preaching, it's a strange situation to have to sit and listen. Ask my wife. I'm glad she's not here. I've, I've struggled. I really, really have found it hard. I, don't, I, I need such grace. But, you know, we sit there and we listen. What's the true indicator that you've listened to a sermon? Your life is differently. You live differently afterwards. How many times we listen and it's in one ear and out the other. Be not hearers only, but doers of the word. And here is Joseph, he hears the message. He he actually listens biblically. So he lives differently. And the consequence, you go back to verse 21. 
she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. That's the explanation as to why he is to be called Jesus. It is a particular name because the son will accomplish a particular work. He will save, he will save his people, he will save his people from their sins. And my friends, Joseph the carpenter is now Joseph the prophet. For he communicates the message that was given to him from heaven. For in verse 21, you will call his name Jesus. And in verse 25, and he called his name Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has come to save his people. A particular work he's come to do. And who are his people? Well, I think you get a, get a hint at it in chapter 2 and verses 1 and 2. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? His people? Yea, some. But not just Jews, because you keep on reading. For we have seen his star when it arose and have come to worship him. Who are the we? Those from the east, Gentiles. Who are his people? Doesn't John tell us in the first chapter of his gospel? He came unto his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him. To them he gives the authority and the right and the power to become the children of God. Who are his people? You go to the book of Revelation chapter 5 and you find that, that picture of, of the, the choir in heaven singing praises to the Lamb from every tribe and tongue and language and people and nation. His people. He's come to call a people to himself. A people who believe him, who trust him, who respond by depending upon him. He's come to gather a people to his prayers. And I wonder this morning if you're among them. But add to that, Jesus was born to do a purposeful work. And that was to save his people from their sin. That's why he came. To do what we fail to do. And cannot do. To die for that sin that marks us and mars us and mocks us. Listen, listen to a carol. We, we, I don't know if you've ever sung it. It's, it's not popular, but it's a delightful carol written by a Scottish lady. Child in the manger, infant of Mary, outcast and stranger, Lord of us all. Child who inherits all our transgressions, all our demerits upon him fall. What grace is this? He comes not simply as a great teacher to instruct us. Not merely as a moral leader to direct us, but as a glorious Savior to give himself 
for us, to save us from our sin, its, its penalty, its pollution, its power, its very presence. All our demerits on Him fall. What a relief it is that they should fall on Him and not on me. That they should fall on Him and not on you. He comes to do a particular work. He comes to do a purposeful work. And let me draw to a close with this. Name him Jesus. Because he will. He will save his people from their sin. You notice that? Not might save his people from their sin. Not possibly save his people from their sin. But here is that blessed assurance. Here is light for our darkness. Here is hope for our future. Jesus saves. And he saves completely. And he saves perfectly. And he saves eternally. You know, the story is is told of the uh, uh, evangelical Anglican theologian, Bishop Handley Moole, riding on a, a train once. Henry Moore lived at the uh, end of the 1800s and into the beginning of the 1900s. And he was riding this train in, 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 in England. And he was accosted in the train by a young Salvation Army lass. Now, seeing, seeing an Anglican clergyman, she probably thought he's not converted. You know, we've got to share the gospel with him. So she, this, this young lass gets up her courage and she asks this man, not knowing who he was, and she says, she says, Sir, are you saved? Are you saved? And this very godly, very gracious man responded and said, uh, Do you mean, have I been saved? Do you mean, am I being saved? Do you mean, will I be saved? She brought the gospel. But he showed her the greatness of that gospel by those three tenses. Jesus crucified for us, past tense. Jesus interceding for us, present tense. Jesus coming for us, the future tense. And this, this was the message to Joseph. This was the comforting thing. And this, my friends, is the the Christmas message If I am one of his people, he will save me. He will seal me. He will secure me. Happy forever as his own. A message of salvation, which is eternity long, that God will get me home to glory before the dark. This is the message that we preach. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved and saved to the uttermost. And it was this message that gripped Joseph and caused him to arise and set out for Hebron to bring his outcast home, his beloved Mary. And I wonder whether the message of heaven's Savior has gripped you 
and caused you to arise and to call upon his name. Because you see, there is a welcome here for you. Because the same Jesus said, come unto me. All ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. His name is Jesus, for he shall save his people from this sin. Joseph, the forgotten figure, yet Joseph, the faithful follower, who brings out so clearly and consistently the Christian message. And as I trust we'll sing in a minute, the words of once in royal David City, Stood a lowly cattle shed where a mother laid her baby in a manger for his bed. Mary was that mother, mild Jesus Christ, her little child. But listen to the concluding words of that hymn. And our eyes at last shall see him through his own redeeming love. For that child so dear and gentle is our Lord in heaven above. And he leads his children on to the place where he has gone. And in that, not in that poor lowly stable with the oxen standing by, we shall see him. But in heaven, set at God's right hand and high, where his children gather round, bright like stars, with glory crowned. That's our salvation. From here to there, from grief, to glory from her to hope may God bless his word to us this morning let us pray Father write your word upon our hearts that like Joseph old we will listen and respond with worship and with joy and with gladness that Jesus has come and he has gone to a place one day he's going to come and take us that we might be with him forever. Oh, Father, what a salvation. How rich, how pure. Help us to understand. Help us to take it in. And, Father, this Christmas season to again know a sense of awe and wonder at your mercies and your might, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.